Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading, which can be found on page 1188, is from the first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, good morning. It's very good to have you with us, whether you've been coming for many years or this is your first time, or indeed if you come for the 9.15 or for the 11 o'clock. Either way, it's good to have you with us as the clock's changing. Glad you've made it along this morning. And uh, you might find it helpful to have the hand, uh, an outline of where we're going in the next few moments. You certainly will find it helpful to have the hand, the Bible, um, that reading from 1 Thessalonians 5, it's on page one. 8.8 in the Pew Bibles. Let me pray as we turn to God's word together. Father, we thank you that there will come a day when every eye will behold the glory of Christ as he returns, the one who was dead but has come alive. And as we think forward to that certain day, please help us this morning to understand what kind of people you would have us to be, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I think it's fair to say that one of the biggest changes that has taken place in our society in the last few decades is a move in people's minds away from viewing themselves as being individuals in a community to just being individuals. People are increasingly 
individualistic in their outlook and, um, and behavior. Uh, let me give you a few examples. So when it comes to the, um, the area of morality, I think a few decades ago, people would often think, well, what's the done thing in my community so that I behave in a way which is um, fitting for that community? Whereas nowadays, when it comes to morality, the big question is, what do I want to do? Uh, what feels right to me? And actually, I don't care very much about what the wider community thinks is right or wrong. We see this shift, I think, when it comes to how we do relationships. So I think in uh, a few decades ago, people would spend much more time and energy getting to know their local neighborhood, their communities around them, the, the people in our streets, in and out of each other's doors, sharing life together. Whereas nowadays, it's very common, certainly including here in Forward, for people to live side by side on the same road, but to not know each other, or at least not beyond the kind of superficial level, and to live very private, individualistic lives, uh, perhaps focusing particularly on online communities to get their networks. And as our society shifts from being kind of community-based to being individualistic, the big danger, I think, for the church is that we simply follow suit. And so we think about what we want before anything else. We come on a Sunday when it's convenient we have superficial conversations about the weather and football and the holiday plans. We, uh, leave, uh, we come late and we leave early. Perhaps um, we do get to know a few people at church, but we only let them into certain parts of our lives and we shut off other areas with a no entry sign hanging over it. People aren't allowed to go into that part of our lives. Why is it such a problem if Christians begin to think as individuals at the expense of community? Well, as we come to the end of our series in 1 Thessalonians, the particular issue is the return of Christ. For the last chapter or so, Paul has been teaching about death and life and the return of Christ. Just look back to verse 10, just before our reading. Paul writes, He, that is Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. There's the Christian hope. Whatever happens, one day we will live with Jesus forever. It is a wonderful future. But then look at verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And this final section of the letter from verse 12 onwards is simply a picture of what church life should look like as the people of God live together, encouraging each other, building each other up, all in the context of the certain return of Jesus Christ. You see, God has not designed us to wait for Christ's return on our own. He hasn't designed us to be go-it-alone Christians where we simply try to keep ourselves going on our own. We need each other. And so this morning, we're going to see three key relationships that should be at work in a healthy local church family that will help individual Christians keep going well as a family of Christ until Christ returns. So here's our first key relationship that is with our leaders. Look at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. I know authority can be abused 
Think of the office manager who runs their little area as if it's their empire, and when they shout, they want people to jump. Uh, We've seen, haven't we, this last year, how authority can be abused terribly. But as society becomes increasingly individualistic, there is, I think, a greater suspicion of all authority, not just the sort of abusive kind of authority. Uh, We don't like being accountable to others. And so Paul says something very countercultural. Respect those who are over you in the Lord. And notice the kind of leader he has in mind. He, he calls the leader a hard worker, more literally, one who labors. Uh, the picture of, is of someone with sleeves rolled up and sweat dripping from their brow, toiling away. It's a hard graft. Well, he says in verse 13, hold them in the highest regard in love. Not because they demand it of you, or because you are scared of them, although sadly that happens. My family used to be involved in a church growing up where the leadership did scare people and controlled them through fear. But no, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Back in chapter one, Paul was able to give thanks for the Thessalonians because he heard about their work produced by faith and labor prompted by love, two hallmarks of authentic Christian living. Well, here in chapter five, he uses the same words for work and labor, and this time speaks about Christian leaders. In other words, they are the real deal. You can see that they are authentic because of their labor and hard work amongst the Christians, a labor that comes from their real faith in Christ and a real love for his people. I know people sometimes joke about how vicars only work one day a week, and I have met a number of vicars for whom that is, well, quite an accurate description of their diary. That should not be the case. A Christian leader should be someone who gladly exhausts themselves for the sake of Christ and his people. Certainly a challenge for anyone who would be in such a role, But there's also a challenge for all of us. We are to respect those whom the Lord has put in leadership over us. Hold them in highest regard. And sadly, this is not always the case in churches around the country. I think of one church family that I know about, not here in Sheffield, not linked at all to Fullwood, where over the last 12 months or so, there's been a bunch of people within the church family who have taken a disliking to the local minister, not because of his theology or because of his conduct, they just don't like him. And they've rallied around them support to their cause to oppose the leader. And for the last 12 months, it's devastated the church family. It's been terrible to watch. I was chatting with someone last week who used to work for a different church in a different part of the country. And uh, this person described how in their early days in this new church, a number of people just um, got alongside them quietly, just discreetly, and began to ask them for their particular view on a number of key church issues. And it became clear as the conversation unfolded that the reason why they were being quizzed over their particular view was because this, these church members were disgruntled with the leadership and were trying to find people who, who would be allies with them in their campaign to oppose leadership. 
and this new person was being sounded out to see where they stood on these issues. But Paul has no time for such behavior. Instead, verse 13, live in peace with each other. Now you might wonder, what does all this have to do with the return of Christ? Well, end of verse 13, leaders in the Lord have been given the responsibility of admonishing the church family. And when we live at odds with our leaders in the Lord, we are living at odds with a key source of encouragement, a warning of exhortation until Christ returns. A couple of years ago, uh, we got a new sat-nav for the car, and it works okay. It kind of does what sat-navs do, but um, the particular one that we got had a very annoying sat-nav voice. You may have come across such voices, and uh, I, I tried to find a way to change the, the voice settings, but I couldn't work it out, so I simply turned the voice off completely on the sat-nav, and the result was that I had a lovely, peaceful uh, car experience. No noises jabbering in my ear. Of course, at the same time, I also got lost very frequently because um, with with sat-navs, a key part of the guidance system is the voice that tells you where to turn next as well as the maps. And when it comes to Christian leaders, we might not like their voice, but one of the key ways in which the Lord helps his people to keep us going until Christ returns is to appoint leaders over the people who can urge, encourage, and correct in the Lord. This isn't always the case, but um, I can think of a number of people over the years who I've spoken to who have come um, to grumble about leadership. They come to me just to kind of um, sound off. And um, as you begin to speak to them about their, their grumblings about leadership, you, you begin to, to discover that their disgruntlement isn't actually particularly with the leadership, but rather their disgruntlement is with the Lord himself. They don't like what they're hearing from the Bible. They don't like the standards being taught from the Bible. And as they push back against the leadership, they're actually pushing back against the Lord himself. I guess there can be some good reasons to leave a local church, but there can be some bad ones as well. And Paul would urge us not to walk away from people who are lovingly admonishing us faithfully in the Lord, who are helping to keep us going until Christ returns. Indeed, more than that, respect them. Make their job an easy one as they seek to faithfully teach the Bible as they should. And if a church member has got into the habit of quietly criticizing a leader, spreading bad reports, grumbling about how things are done, I think the Apostle Paul would urge them to stop. For the sake of peace within the church family, but also because Christ is coming and they need all the help they can get from their leaders if they are to keep going well until he does. Well, there's our first key relationship with our leaders. Live in peace with them, Paul would say. Our next key relationship is with each other. Look at verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, Be patient with everyone. So far, Paul has been focusing on the role of the church leader to be the one who admonishes and encourages. But now in verse 14, we realize that actually the whole church family have a role to play in building each other up. Notice how Paul urges the brothers, the plural, including the whole church family, 
we all have a role to play as a corporate church family in encouraging each other until Christ returns. So verse 14, Paul says that we all have a role to play in warning those who are idle. This might seem a little strong for someone who's a little bit um, slow to to get involved. Um, But then remember back in chapter 1 that a, a key mark of a lively, healthy Christian is visible work for the sake of Christ. And when we spot a brother or sister who is idle, someone who has no time for Christian service, someone who always comes late and leaves early, who often misses a midweek group for no good reason, who seems self-preoccupied and not other person-centered, Paul would urge us to warn them about their idleness. An idle Christian is not a healthy Christian waiting well for Christ to return. He continues, verse 14, encourage the timid. Uh, The word there could also mean uh, the the one who's disheartened. And I think very likely Paul is thinking about how um, in in his day, uh, some people thought that Christ would return very soon, perhaps in a year or two, um, a sudden thing. But but they'd waited for a number of years. Christ hadn't come. And you can imagine as the the world around them begin to mock them for trusting in a a dead and risen Savior who would come back, you can imagine a number of Christians just starting to think, is it worth following Christ? He hasn't come back. I can't see him. They gradually become more timid in their witness. They, They lose heart and confidence that he will come. Paul says, encourage the timid. It is worth sticking with Christ. He has been raised. He will come back. And the flack and persecution until then is all worth it. Finally, help the weak. In the context of uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, I think he's talking about weakness in a, in a sexual context particularly. If someone is brave enough to open up to us that they are struggling to be pure in this area, we should help them. I heard recently of, about uh, how one friend has been helping another friend who struggles with pornography. And it's been wonderful to see how this friend helps. Uh, they send a text each day to ask how the other friend is doing. They, they meet regularly to pray together. Uh, the supporting friend has agreed to, to receive a list of all the emails and websites that have been seen and visited by this other friend, all done through an app installed on the phone, just to provide accountability and support. Uh, that is just one example of real practical help for someone who is weak. And notice how Paul finishes the verse. Be patient with everyone. If someone is brave enough to open up to us about a struggle they are going through, be patient with them. Know that change is hard. It takes time. There'll be good days and bad days, setbacks and breakthroughs. Remember that we are all in need of help and encouragement, for we are all at times idle and um, timid and weak. And I wonder if, as we become increasingly a patient church family, that it might become increasingly easy to be open about our weakness, knowing that the response we'll get from others is a kind help rather than a sharp rebuke. In verse 15, Paul anticipates a scenario where uh, I think one Christian has wronged another. Uh, Maybe there's been laziness. Uh, Maybe there's been some sexual uh, impurity, a wrong done there. Uh, However we are wronged, 
It is easy to want to fight fire with fire, but no, says Paul, be kind in your response and relationships. This then is a, a beautiful picture of a healthy church family living together well until Christ returns, caring deeply enough, knowing each other well enough to really spur each other on. It is a picture that we should be increasingly aspiring to hear it forward. In our conversations before and after our formal gatherings on a Sunday, uh, looking to move beyond the superficial conversations about the weather and football and the next holiday plans, uh, looking to kindly, gently, patiently ask how people are really doing. Uh, Where are you struggling? How can I really support and help you? Here's a question worth talking about later. Maybe take it away and think it through yourself. Does anyone here at Forward know me well enough to know if I am struggling sexually? Does anyone know me well enough here at Forward to know if my diary betrays an idle heart? Or to flip it around, is there someone who I know, just maybe a comment made or just an instinct, something that we've seen in our small group and our serving teams, where we think, I just wonder if they're struggling I just wonder if I can encourage them. Not to come in with guns blazing, but just to get alongside and say, what can I do? How can I help? I'm there if you need me. It is always worth it to invest in other people, to look after each other in the church family. It can be hard to open up. The stakes can feel high. But it helps to remember Christ is coming and we want to wait well for his return. Our final relationship is with God himself. Look at verse 16. Paul says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Please do notice Paul doesn't say, Give thanks for all circumstances. This isn't some kind of stoic denial of how hard life can be in this broken world. No, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Not because our circumstances are easy, but rather because I think in the context, a Christian knows that Christ will return to put the world to rights. And when we see him face to face, it'll be truly wonderful. And because of that certain hope, be joyful and thankful now, no matter what happens. And notice also these instructions are in the plural. Uh, these are things that the church family are to do when we are together as, as church family. And the way we talk to and about the Lord whilst around other Christians really matters, not least on a Sunday when we gather like this. There is something wonderful, so beneficial when we hear another Christian vocalize with audible words things that we already know to be true, when we see them standing firm with real joy and thanksgiving, even through hard times, because they know Christ is coming back, to hear them speak that way does wonderful things to those who hear. Well, having dealt with the prayer life of the church, Paul then moves on to prophecy. Verse 19, he says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. 
Now, I know that uh, much ink has been spilt discussing what Paul means in these uh, couple of verses about prophecy, and I haven't got time to explore all the different options with you this morning. Note that Paul doesn't define prophecy in this particular context. Sometimes in the Bible, uh, Scripture itself is referred to as prophecy, but I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here, because uh, as he goes on, he he says uh, later on, Verse 21, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. And that kind of testing isn't something that we're meant to do with the infallible word of God. Paul could have in mind perhaps a certain kind of prophecy which is a a prediction of future events. And as we read through the Bible, we do see some prophets with that kind of role amongst God's people. He, he, He could mean that. But there's no indication that that kind of future telling prophecy was a live issue for the Thessalonians. Much more likely, and this is my own view, Paul is using prophecy here in 1 Thessalonians in this particular context to describe the activity where one Christian seeks to bring God's infallible word to bear into the life of another Christian in a particular context. Certainly looking through the Bible, that is definitely a role of the prophet to take God's word and bring it to bear specifically to people at a certain time. Imagine there's someone in our small group who might be in danger of being idle. I'm going to call them Ian, not because I have a particular Ian in mind, but Ian and idle kind of go together. Um, you read 1 Thessalonians and you realize that idleness is serious. So you go to idle Ian and you gently, patiently begin to have a conversation with him about his diary and priorities you get to the point where you mention that you haven't really noticed him ever serving in the church family. You, you kind of notice that he seems to arrive late and leave early, that he, he often misses small group, but without any particular good reason. And um, you sort of just wonder whether he is really being idle. And so you open up 1 Thessalonians 5, and you say, I, I just want to warn you about idleness, if that is the case. I think that is the kind of prophecy Paul has in mind, Now, what will Ian do? He could hear the words from the friend and and he could scoff. He can say, well, I haven't got time for this kind of warning. You know, who do you think you are to have that kind of conversation with me? And he could storm off. But the apostle Paul would say to Ian, careful, don't put out the Spirit's fire. He works in and through the Bible to challenge and change us. Or Ian might say, well, thanks for the challenge. Well, I have to go away and think about it. I haven't really thought about my diary that way before. I have some time to think and pray. It might be that Ian reflects on his diary and decides that he's not being lazy. Maybe there's a, a relative out of town who's sick and Ian's off in a way visiting them and caring for them. We just, no one ever knew that. And so he is serving well, but just not in a way that people could, could see. Ian would need to, to test what he's heard and hold on to the goods. If he is being idle, then to take the challenge and work hard to change his diary. But if he is already being industrious in his service, and in this case the Bible's being misapplied, then he should reject what he's heard. It doesn't apply to him. And so as a church, God's people, our prayer life and our prophecy matters. Both reveal a right relationship of humble dependence on the Lord and his word as we wait for Christ to return. 
But just as we finish, in case all this sounds a bit daunting, the, the thought of having that kind of conversation with an idol ear, and we think, well, what if I get it wrong? What if I made a mistake? What if I, I mumble at the wrong point? I don't get across the right idea. What if I mess it up? Well, look at what Paul says in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Yes, we need our Christian leaders to admonish us. Yes, we need other Christians to get alongside us, to speak um, words of truth into our lives. But our ultimate confidence that one day we will see Christ face to face and we will be ready to meet him comes not from our leaders or from other Christians, but rather from him. For the one who calls us is faithful and he will do it. He will present us blameless in the sight of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Paul finishes his letter and says his goodbyes, he knows that although he misses the Thessalonians terribly, he longs to be with them and encourage them. He knows that one day he will see them face to face before the Lord Jesus. They will be kept blameless by him. And so here too is our ultimate confidence, not in our own ability to keep going or indeed in our expertise in helping others, but rather in the Lord's great power to keep his people until Christ returns. And just as Paul would have his letter read out among all the brothers, let us make sure we keep on encouraging each other with this wonderful news. Let me pray. Father, we are sorry when we allow the shape of our culture to shape us, and in particular when we become very individualistic in our outlook, our mindset, and our diaries, and our time and energies. We thank you for this wonderful picture of a healthy church family. Please help us to be that church family. We do pray that you'd help us kindly, patiently, lovingly to urge one another on in the light of Christ's certain return, knowing all along that it is only through his great strength and power that we can stand before Christ. And Father, we thank you that that day will come, that we will see our Savior face to face. Please fill us with a joy and a thankfulness that cannot be snatched away by any trial or tribulation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.